So let's, uh, first things first, let's get Bibles into everybody's hands. Uh, If you have a Bible, Matthew 27 of this 28 chapter gospel, we are looking at Jesus' crucifixion today. Uh, We will not, uh, we, we will leave him hanging on the cross at the end of today. We will come back next week and, uh, and watch him there until he uh, gives up his spirit. And then, of course, uh, we will look at his resurrection as we look into chapter 28. It'll be Easter for a couple of weeks. So if you don't have a Bible, if you, if you put your hand up, make sure you get your hand up nice and high. Bibles will come around. Again, Matthew 27. Let's mark two other spots. One of them is a spot we looked at, I think, last week. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. Put a, you can tear your bulletin apart and use it as a bookmark. And the second place will be Hebrews, or excuse me, I guess this would be the third place, Hebrews chapter 12. Very good. Let's pray and we'll see what God has for us today. Lord, as we uh, just come once again to be equipped for the work of ministry. We're just here, Lord, recognizing that there is this disconnect sometimes between what we should be and what we are. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are works in progress, that we are growing, I pray, and will continue growing until we are more and more and more like you. Lord, you are so holy And you are so different than anything we have known or seen in this world. It is so contrary to everything we've learned, everything we've been taught, everything our mind and our inner self desires. And it is so right. It is so true. And where else would we go? Because you alone have the words of life. And we just acknowledge, Lord, all the the petty things we We chase after that are like chasing the wind, looking for satisfaction, looking for acceptance, looking for value, and never finding it until we find you. And we have no rest, Lord, until we rest in you. So, Lord, as we look look again at you and your great love for us and your great sacrifice for us, just... Just add a little something to our lives this morning, Lord. Challenge us in in one area. Challenge us in in the way we think. Challenge us in the way we live to be different. To to live differently in this world. But I pray and we ask that your word would have its way in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's precious people said, Amen. Amen. As we look at Matthew 27, we've been looking and following this awful day in the life of Jesus, uh, watching this 24-hour period unfold. We started kind of tracking time at the Last Supper, where Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. And now here we are, coming up to the cross, seeing how his body is being broken, the fulfillment of, of what 
he said at the Lord's Supper. And, and went from the evening, uh, through the trial, through the, the betrayal, through the denial of Peter, and through the abusiveness by the Roman guards, and, and we'll see more and more of that. And we talked last week about the reality of Jesus bearing literally in his body the sins of the world. Every type of sin, all types of sin poured out on him. And he taking those things and taking them to the grave. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we look at Hebrews 12, a phenomenal passage. Because this isn't just to um, make us feel queasy this morning. And I'm t- this is, you know, we're going to talk about crucifixion because it, to them, they, they knew it already. They understood crucifixion was a reality in their lives. They, they understood it. But we don't have to face that, thank God. We don't see that. Uh, we are much more compassionate in our day and age in, in that way much more merciful than the Romans were, than the ancient peoples were. And so we don't understand crucifixion. It's been dismissed as a form of punishment because of its tremendous cruelty. Um, and so, but this is not just to make you go, oh, uh, you know, what a, that, was, that was hard. That was... Paul, it's so important. It's so important because what we're learning is patience and suffering. And, I, you know, if you're like me, you go to the bookstore... And, and you listen to sermons online, and you see what the popular churches are preaching. And I, I'm not saying that they never talk about suffering, but typically, uh, and it's, it's, it's all throughout the New Testament. You, you can't understand the New Testament unless you understand the crucifixion. You just can't. You'll just, none of it will make sense. And all throughout the New Testament, through the epistles, through the gospels, we're seeing, we, we see that we're called to suffer patiently. And that doesn't sell books. Does it? I mean, you don't, you don't, I want to find a good book on suffering. Hmm, where can I, you know, we want to find books on blessing and prosperity and family and all those things. We, you know, that's what, and we, we know, but we know the reality that Jesus promises us an abundant life. And that's true. But he also calls us to suffering. And how those things coincide, how they seem paradoxical. They seem like they can't match, but somehow they do. And so Paul, I appreciate this as we begin this message this morning at some point in the, in the near future. We'll begin. Um, when Paul goes to Corinth, he says, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul goes to Corinth. He says, look, I'm not going to try to persuade you with, with the beautiful words. I'm not here to to preach fancy sermons, to try to get you to be impressed with what kind of preacher I am. He said, here's what I was determined. He had to make this determination himself. I was determined not to know anything else. And of course, he knew other things, but he's determined to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified because it is so essential in our own lives and in our own thinking, in our own understanding that, that we know that, Paul said, this is what I'm going to focus on. So this is what we get to focus on today, Right? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Matthew 27. Let me get there myself. So last we, we left, uh, we left off in verse 26, I believe, where he'd been scourged um, with the, uh, the flagrum, the, the Roman guards punishing him brutally. This in and of itself would have killed the average person. Many people didn't make it through the, the scourging. Um, Barabbas, this murderer, this insurrectionist, he was a rebel. Uh, Pilate was hoping that maybe they would 
allow Barabbas, uh, Jesus to be released instead of Barabbas. It didn't go that way. Pilate is still trying to release and will continue even through this passage. It's not written here, but in another gospel. Still wanting, hoping that the scourging, and Pilate will bring after Jesus has been scourged, which is between verses you know, 26 and uh, 27 here, Pilate brings him back out to the Jews, bloodied and beaten, and, and he says, behold the man. I mean, look at him. You know, isn't this enough? I think he's trying to say, can, can, we just, can we let him go? And they demanded all the more, crucify him, crucify him. And so we looked at Pilate and how he was more in, interested in appeasing the crowd than doing what was right. And I pray, you know, I know the, the youth are in here now with us, the senior high youth are with us, and I pray that you would get that same, that you would see the lesson from Pilate is that it's never good to appease the crowd instead of doing what's right. And this is the plight of Pilate. So they delivered him to be crucified. Verse 27 says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. This is the the governor's palace, you could say, or the governor's residence. They took him in there and they gathered the whole garrison around him. Now, a garrison is not a numerical amount of troops uh, like a legion would be. A garrison is just all of the troops that were there. You know, Jer- Jerusalem was under Roman occupation, so Jerusalem, Rome had a presence, an army presence there to occupy it. So this is the garrison is, are the Roman soldiers. Could have been up to 600. Obviously, that's not what's being referred to here. Probably all the soldiers that were present right there in the praetorium at that time. All of them, the whole garrison, gathered around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. So insult continues to be added to injury in the most literal sense. I don't know if, if did, were you teased as a kid? Did you ever go through that as a kid? Maybe some of you were too cool. Maybe some of you were the bullies. Maybe some of you were the teasers. When I was in junior high, now see, you know, those of us that are, I'm, I'm 43, and, and those of us that are my age or older, maybe a little bit younger, remember that we, we got whooped up on in school. I mean, maybe, again, maybe you didn't. Maybe you were the one that was whooping up on me in school. Um, but I was like, but sort of there was this sense where it was, you know, and nobody complained about it. Nobody said anything. It was just sort of the way it was. You know, we would get thrown in the showers during gym class and all this kind of stuff. That was in the days when you had to change clothes for gym. You had gym clothes. And you had, when it was gym, then you had to change your clothes. And then, so we were all in the locker room. And I, I don't think it works that way anymore. But uh, I remember, and it hurts, doesn't it, to get mocked. I mean, we have no doubt that Jesus went through some tremendous physical pain. But I think he went through some tremendous emotional pain. And those of you that have been, have been bullied, and, and this, is the, this is the discussion we have in our day and age about bullying, right? So does Jesus have something to say? To the teenager who is bullied, you bet he does. You bet he does. Does he understand? You better believe it. Because here he is, a completely innocent man. And now this whole gang of these brutal soldiers gather around him and they strip him. That's humiliating. 
They strip him, and already he's remember he's already his 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 muscles are exposed. He's already gone through the scourging. He's in tremendous amount of pain, probably in shock to some degree. He's lost a lot of blood, and and as if that's not, you, you think that they would be merciful, that somehow they would have compassion on him, but not yet because he's still bearing the mercilessness of the world, the sin of of lack of mercy. He's bearing. The sin of mocking and teasing. They strip him. And now they're going to play games. They're going to make him a joke. They put a scarlet robe on him. So some, one of the soldiers, the, the officers would wear these scarlet or, or purple kind of half coats. And they put one. They, they're looking around for whatever they can find. Because they're going to make, they're, they're playing a game. And the word to mock literally means to be in play. So they're playing a children's game with him. They're dressing him up. Oh, you want to play dress up? You know, Mr. King? You want to be? A, we'll make you a king. So they make him a mock king. They put this garment on him. And I, let's see. Would you come up here? I brought a, a crown of thorns as well. Could you just pass that? I'm going to let this. I'm going to ask you to do something to multitask. I'm going to pass this. This crown of thorns is going to be passed around. So I know the temptation is to look at the crown of thorns. And, and not up here. So just as it goes around, just feel it. Imagine it, you know, stick it, put it on your head if you want to. But try to, can you concentrate as well? Is that possible? I know it's hard because we're like ADHD, all of us. So um, anyway, it's going to be passed around because I, I want you to have something physical, tangible to feel while we talk about this because they're, they're, they're mocking him. They twist a crown of thorns. So someone, you know, goes, oh, you know, oh, he needs a crown. Our, our king, what kind of king won't have a crown? So some go outside and, and cut down something and get a, get a crown. So they, they get this, they find a thorn bush, which is interesting because where's the first time we see thorns in the Bible? Genesis. It was a result of the curse of original sin. So I thought that was fitting and interesting that he would be crowned with thorns, the, the result of, of sin Scarlet robe, twist a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand. He's got to have a scepter. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Just like when they would be before Caesar, they would say, Ave Caesar, hail Caesar. But now in mocking, can you, can you imagine that they're just slapping each other, laughing? Oh, look at this guy. What a joke he is. Man, look at it. Oh, yeah, let's put a crown of thorns on him. I mean, it, can you put yourself, you ever been in a group like that where there's this group mentality and, and it's kind of like just this teasing and nobody's really thinking about the person being teased. They're just kind of caught up in the moment and, and having a good time getting their yucks out of the whole thing. And what we don't see is Jesus say a word. Not a word. I mean, he could have called down legions of angels. And when you've, if you've ever been mocked or teased, you know how hard it is to not yell back, to not curse back, isn't it? And it, matter of fact, in this section, we don't see Jesus say anything. He has no will of his own here. I mean, I, I say that in respect of he's not going to. Uh, he's going through this willingly. He, he refuses to take a drink. We'll get to that in a little bit. But other than that, he's silent. And we're just being shown the continued mocking. Okay, so as if it's not bad enough, verse 30. Then they spat on him. That's the second time he's been spit on. 
And this is important to understand, again, because we live in a world where Jesus is a joke, don't we? To many people, we are simpletons, right? I mean, we believe a lie. We believe um, it's a myth, this Jesus thing. And so we are looked on by the quote-unquote educated. We are looked on by the professors and by those that are knowledgeable, we are looked down as being simpletons. And we will be, I mean, Warren McIver and I went to, the, um, went to UVA to meet with an atheist group on campus there. Had a great meeting, shared pizza with them and just tried to, to share with them for a little bit. And, but if, if you know, if any of you have gone somewhere, been in a crowd and where Jesus is not, you know, hopefully and you have been outside of a place where only Christians exist, because that's what we're called to do, um, Maybe, has anybody been mocked for their faith? Maybe in your family. Maybe in, in your immediate family. But I, there are many that will, oh yeah, you know, Jesus, right? It's just a good story. Maybe he was a man that lived, but, you know, the rest of that stuff. It's just man trying to explain, you know, the, the world he lives in. And the Bible's just a storybook. And so we've been there. And don't expect that you would get a different treatment than Jesus got if you're a Christian. See, we identify with him. And when we identify him with him, we take on what he took on. And we don't, this is, we don't like it, but this is when Christ shines most brightly in our lives. This is when we really see Christ. Not just when we're being blessed and going to the bank, depositing all the checks because God poured down the windows of blessing on us this week. But it's when we're suffering. And the world watches the Christians suffer. And the part of the reason the gospel is misunderstood today is because we Christians, we don't want to suffer. We run from it. We hide from it. And when we see it, we think somehow this should be foreign to us. We're Christians. We shouldn't have to suffer. Our rights. We have rights. Don't you know it? Jesus had the right to suffer on our behalf so we could have life. They spat on him. They took the reed. They struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, put his own clothes on him, which was atypical because typically they would have led the the person being crucified naked through the streets. But they put his clothes back on him and led him away to be crucified. So the next part would be as they lead him out of the praetorium, out of where they've they've been uh, mocking him, teasing him. This the whole scene in in my mind is, is just... Hard to think about, especially if you do, if you are a person of compassion. You just want to step in and say, stop it. Stop it. But now the next part would be they would tie his arms to the patibulum, which was the, the, the cross piece of the cross. See, he didn't carry the whole cross through the streets. He would just have carried the cross piece. Well, probably would have weighed between 80 and 100 pounds. And, and it would have been across his shoulders. His arms would have been tied to it. Now, he's already been scourged. He's already been up all night. No food, nothing to drink. He's exhausted. He's in shock. He's lost a lot of blood. And now they strap on his back an 80 to 100 pound log. That's hard for us when we're fresh, let alone after having been through that. And so he is struggling. And they'll lead him about a mile through the streets. And this was meant to be a deterrent was meant to be an example uh, to the, by the Romans of people. And as they, as they led him through, they would, have, they would carry the accusation so that he would be an example to anybody else. 
You know, not, not everybody was able to be crucified. It had to be ordered by Caesar himself. And it was only for the, 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 um, the worst criminals, disobedient slaves, or insurrectionists, people that were a threat to the government, would be crucified. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. So they lead him through the streets, and as he was going, carrying this on his back, the soldiers would trip him, would trip the person carrying the cross, and you can imagine without your hands free how you would land carrying with the 80 pounds coming down on your face, on your head. And so obviously and evidently, Jesus is struggling under the weight. He's either slowed down or he's having difficulty. Still pressing on, verse 32 says, Now as they came out, out of the city that is, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. We all know him. He's from North Africa, Libya to be exact. And he had been coming uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover. He had no idea what the day would hold for him. He was just, this is completely uh, unexpected by him. And him they compelled to bear his cross. So this was the Romans could do this. They could grab someone and, and put them into service uh, to do this. So uh, they're probably getting impatient. It's taking too long. Let's speed this up. So they grab this man again. He was just passing by. There's a lot of discussion about Simon, and, and I, you know, I don't know what history says about it, but he was called into service to carry the cross unexpectedly, um, unbeknownst to him what would happen that day. And we don't know, you know, so some would say, well, he saw him and he was, you know, felt compassion on him. Uh, don't have any, any uh, evidence that he was already a disciple the evidence shows that he becomes a disciple and raises kids that are mentioned possibly in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Uh, Rufus and Alexander, Mark says, are his children, evidently well known. But uh, here we see this man literally carrying the cross. And, and, you know, there's a lot of application we could make there. The difference is, is that he was compelled by the soldiers to carry it. It was obligatory. He had to do it. You and I get a choice. We have the choice. As to whether or not we, in our lives, no one's going to force you to carry the cross. No one's going to force you to become a Christian. No one's going to force you to be baptized and take on identifying with Christ. And the Bible is pretty clear. Count the cost. Before you say yes to Christ, count the cost. Again, I, I look around in my life and I say, well, if not Christ, then what? I mean, if not Christ, I met a guy in India. I think I've told you this story before. I don't have a whole lot of stories, so I repeat them often. Um, but I have a bad memory too, so that's good. You know, he, was a, he was a Hindu, and, and uh, he had investigated, and, and he had, uh, his family had a cow, and the cow died, and a cow is a sacred animal, and you can't kill a cow because cows are God. And his cow died, and he said, wow, my God just died. And he started to think about it, and it started to make him investigate, and he came to this conclusion, because he was a Christian when I met him. He said, if, if Jesus is not God, then there is no God. And if, if not Jesus in your life, are you going to have meaning in, in, in following your sports team? Are you going to have meaning in, in vacations? And, I mean, those things are all fine. There was nothing wrong with those. But those things, they're not eternal. They're not lasting. They're not foundational. They're not rocks. And so if not Jesus, then who? Then what? To give a foundation, something stable 
in your life. And so we have this choice, and I pray that you would consider the cross in your own life. And when they had come, verse 33, to a place called Golgotha, that's a transliteration of an of Aramaic word that sounds the same. So this is Greek, Golgotha. That is to say, and it means skull, that is to say place of a skull. Which, by the way, we, where do we get Calvary from? Where do we get, so we hear, we see Golgotha, the place of the skull. Where does Calvary come from? That's from the Latin that means skull, calv. So that's where we get the Calvary comes from the Latin, just in case you're academic and you like, you know, you play Trivial Pursuit or something. I don't know. So they come to the place of a skull, which we'll see when we go to Israel. We've been there uh, to see it it looks like a skull, two eyes and the mouth is kind of covered up now, but it's it's a bus station now, sadly. But uh, they, they come to the place of the skull. Verse 34 says they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Now, some have said that this was uh, an act of mercy that the soldiers did uh, for people that were being crucified to help deaden the pain. I don't think so. Because I haven't seen merciful soldiers yet in this story. Have you? Uh, This doesn't seem like the group that's interested in being merciful. So what I think, and I'm not alone in this, I think this is simply adding insult to injury once again. They give him wine, but they mix it with this bitter substance called gall. Again, he's thirsty. And he's tired. And have you ever had, you ever been thirsty? And then you drink some, like, something and it just tastes awful? And it's all the, I mean, the, when the, the uh, Jews were coming out of Egypt, they were so thirsty and they were so ready for a drink. And they go to, they find this, this big oasis but the water is bitter. And so they taste it. Oh, God, God, it's bitter water. And so here they offer Jesus a drink. And he tastes it. And he tastes how bitter it is. And he, and he refuses it. The first this is the only place in this section where he exercises his will. Where we see him do something that's not done to him. I think it's just adding to the torture. And verse 35, yeah, underline it, understand it. Then they crucified him. And divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. Then they crucified him. After all of this, after all he's been through, the Bible says, and Matthew records, then they crucified him. I won't belabor the point, but just a little explanation. They've walked him there. The upright, he's carrying the crossbeam. The upright is already in place. They don't want to work too hard. So once they get the criminal to the place of crucifixion, then they, they don't, it's not like 12 feet off the ground. He's just a little bit off the ground. Otherwise, how'd they get the cross piece up there? So he's not real far off the ground. It's not a hill far, far away. And, and so they, his hands are already tied. They lift the cross piece up onto the stipe or the upright. His hands then nailed to the cross beam. Not because it was going to hold him there. The nails were not, could not carry the, uh, enough weight. He, if it was just nails, they would pull through the skin and through the bones and the person would fall off. So they tie 
and nail. That secures them there. The nails were just for a little bit added torture. The feet would be put on both sides of the stipe or the upright and nails driven through the ankle, the thick ankle bone, uh, one on each side. Sometimes they would cross them in the front, as you see often in Jesus in the pictures, but oftentimes it was sort of straddling the cross. His back's already torn open from the scourging. Now he's hung there. Now the, the people, they don't die from the, the pain um, of the, the nails. That's not what kills a person. Asphyxiation is what kills a person who's crucified or sometimes a heart attack because what happens is now, now Jesus is hanging his hands out and all the weight kind of sinking down. And if you've ever tried to, to keep your hands over your head to hang like this for any length of time, it, you, you're not able to breathe. And so the person being crucified, as soon as the, the need for air overcame the pain of the, the nails and the, in the feet and the nails in the hands, would have to pull themselves up by pushing against the nails in the feet and pulling against the nails in the hand and the ropes to get a breath, to let the diaphragm do its work, to get a breath, and then would sink back down again. And this could, for many people, go on for days. Crucifixion was the most brutal uh, form of, of punishment that has ever been invented by mankind, and the Romans perfected it. The Romans perfected it. And so the person would go through this process, blood loss, shock, until they either had a heart attack or they uh, suffocated, asphyxiated. Or if the Romans wanted to speed up the death, they would break the person's legs, uh, which they did not do to Jesus. Um, and then that way they couldn't push up to get a breath. And so again, just it is a terrible. We, we use the word excruciating. You ever said, I'm in excruciating pain? No, you're not. You know, your kids say, oh, I'm excruciating pain. No, you're not. This is excruciating. Excruc means out of the cross. That's where we get excruciating from. The Old Testament said, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. So the recognition is that when you were found guilty, you would be impaled or, you know, impaled would have been the earlier form of crucifixion. So if you were hung on a tree, it was because you were guilty. And then if you were considered guilty, then you were under the curse of God. And so they had this saying, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. And here's Jesus hanging on the tree. And we know that he hung there to become a curse, to take on the curse of sin for you and I. Verse 36, sitting down, they kept watch over him there and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. By the way, in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And he looked terrible. And he looked pitiful, but it was true. He is the king of the Jews. Not only is he the king of the Jews, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king whose kingdom is everlasting, is eternal. There is no king or no power or no entity or no dominion on the face of the earth ever before in the past or, or now that exists that will ever outlast or outdo do or outlive the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he is truly, he is the suffering king. Amen. He is a suffering servant. So it's written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew because this is a crossroads. This is where people are traveling. They're coming by. It was very public. It was in the marketplace, so to speak. And, and people are seeing this. So, it's, so it's written in three languages. And then two robbers 
were crucified with him, one on, the, one on the right hand and another on the left. Now, interesting, remember Barabbas? Remember, let's go back to Barabbas for a second. Remember Barabbas? He was this insurrectionist that had been condemned and he was chained to the other terrorists that were with him. So he gets released and here's Jesus now on this cross, probably Barabbas' cross. And he's with the other two criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Do you remember? Does that spark a memory in your mind? Do you remember two other guys that we read about that said, oh, Jesus, we want to be on your right and on your left. And he said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And they didn't understand what he was talking about. They said, we want to be on your right and want to be on your left. Well, look now on his right and on his left are these two criminals. That's where James and John, they didn't, little, little did they know, that's what they were asking for. I want to be on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom. But the interesting thing to me is Barabbas is missing and Jesus in his, is in his place. Now, God's economy allows for something that, that human courts don't allow for, and that's a substitute. And so here we see that there was an exchange. Barabbas was a criminal that got to go free. And Jesus was an innocent man who hung on the cross instead of him, who took his place. And this is the gospel. This is, this is the gospel. You see, someday uh, every human being is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The white throne judgment seat. And... Uh, when we're there, it's going to be, we're accountable, not for, you know, people say, well, I've done all these good things, I've done, I've done this good, I've done that good, and, and the, the question is going to be, well, what about the, the sin? What about the sin? What about the things you've done wrong? It's, oh, well, you know, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, that's what you go to court for. You don't go, you don't go to court so they can, you know, thank you for driving the speed limit so many times. They go to, you go to court for the one time you broke the speed limit. You might say, well, I, normally I drive the speed limit. Yes, but this one time you didn't, and that's why you're here before us and in in our human court there's you know if you're guilty you take the punishment but god from the time of the old testament allowed for a substitute you could when you when you sinned you could bring down a a lamb and the lamb would be sacrificed and, and all the sin laid on that lamb and you could then go back home with your family and having been absolved of of your sin for that time and so we see in a very clear picture of, of the, what the Bible calls justification, meaning that, was Barabbas guilty? Was Barabbas guilty? Sure he was guilty. Was Jesus innocent? Yes, Jesus was innocent. Did, did Pilate determine that somehow, Jesus, I mean, somehow Barabbas was now not guilty? No, Barabbas was still guilty. But he was treated as if he was innocent. He was let go. And this is the biblical term justification. He's not acquitted. Barabbas wasn't acquitted you know, we didn't come before the court. We find Barabbas here, innocent. We were wrong. He's innocent. None of the evidence. No, all the evidence. He was guilty. But, but he was treated as if innocent. He was let go. And the Bible says you and I are justified by faith, meaning that we were guilty people. We are guilty people. But yet in God's economy, he treats us as if we are innocent. Because, and the only reason he can do that and still be fair is because all of the guilt and punishment is taken by the innocent 
substitute, Jesus. It's powerful. Hard to imagine. Now we meet another group of people, those who are passing by, those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple, or you who said you would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And at that point, if it's me, I'm going, here I come, baby. Get out of the way. I'm coming down. Because now everybody's walking by, wagging their heads, you know, tsk, tsk, tsk. You know, you, you said you, would, you could destroy the temple and build it in three days, and now here you are up on a cross. How pitiful, how sad. <laughs> if, and in, look at this. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Why don't you prove it? If he did that, if he gave the proof that they were looking for, he would not have secured our salvation. He could not have said it is finished. So there are some times where we will say, oh yeah, God, if you're God, then do this. And then he doesn't do it. And so we say, well, God, there must not be God. Oh, if you only knew what you were saying. Just let him be who he is. Just trust him implicitly with everything. You aren't going to understand it. Don't even try. We got the, you know brain capacity we don't even use a quarter of our brain capacity and nor if we could use it all we still couldn't understand eternity and we still couldn't understand the mind of god if you're the son of god come down what a temptation man what a what a challenge because he knows he is he knows it's really who he is he says well on one hand i am but on the other hand i can't come down from the cross because this is what i'm called to and he doesn't explain it he said, well, let me, let me explain to you. See, I am the Son of God, but you see, I can't come down to the cross because and nothing. Verse 41, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, and notice they're not talking directly to him. They're sort of talking. You ever been in a room and people are talking about you without addressing you directly? So they're talking about him to others present there, but they're not talking to him. He, they say, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. Man. Oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Sure. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and, and then we'll believe. Because, you know, again, the way they're looking at it is he ain't getting, he's nailed up there. He's not coming down. So mocking, teasing, how do you think Jesus was feeling during all this, hearing these things? Verse 43 says, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. We feel that one, don't we? When, when we're, we're trusting in God for something and our, our family is watching or our people we work with are watching and you know what? You know, we've seen people that, that, that get cancer or some other medical diagnosis and we begin to pray as a church and we, we lay hands on it and, oh, the person doesn't get healed. And they say, oh, if well, God really loved you or if, or if God was really God, then you'd be healed. You trust God. Oh, what's God doing for you? How's God helping you? And, oh, man, those words sting, don't they? If you've ever had to deal with that, all oh, those words, they sting. And they sting no less to Jesus because as they say, you know, oh, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. 
So verse 44, I like the first word, verse 44 says, even, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Man, the whole gang is in on it. Everybody, it's like, it's like everybody is, is against him. Everybody is teasing him. Everybody is mocking him. Now we marked Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go there. Because I think on the one hand, we, we understand that what we are viewing is what true love does. What true love does. The only way we really know love is through the cross. To see what someone will do he wasn't there for himself. He wasn't there to prove how strong he was or to prove he was tough. He was there for one reason and one reason alone. And the Bible says it's love. He was there because he loved me. He was there because he loved you and still loves you. And if you ever, ever, ever doubt whether or not Jesus Christ loves you, then you come back to this passage and you say, why would he do this if he didn't? Why would he go through this? You know, parents, you would do anything for your kids. You ever watched one of your kids suffer in a little or a big way? I mean, we, we've all been following Alyssa and her story. And you better believe that her parents would have taken on that cancer in a second in her place. Because that's what love does. If you've ever seen your kids struggling with something, you know as a parent that you would take their place, you would take it from them if you could, you would get in so that they could be free. And why, if we think that that's, you know, if we understand that as human parents, the only way we understand that, the only way we know that, where we, we have that modeled is God himself, the ultimate father, who says, I see my creation, I see my people struggling and suffering, and I want to take it on myself. Instead of having them bear it. And so we know that we see the love of God. You know, God so loved the world. We know that verse. And so we know something about God because of this passage. And what he was willing to endure on our behalf. But we also have an example and an encouragement. So first, first the encouragement. Actually, I'll tell you what. If Let's... 1 Peter 2 first. I'm sorry. 1 Peter 2. Just a couple of pages over. Not like it's a big deal. Uh, 1 Peter 2. We were there before. And then we'll come back to Hebrews 12. But just the remaining five minutes here. Are we still together? Yes. Okay. This is, this is life-changing stuff. If you, if you listen and you respond to what's here, your life will never be the same. But you have to have ears to hear. And you have to be willing to understand and be willing to think about what you're reading. So... Because the other side of this coin is the desire we inherently have to escape suffering. Our natural human response to suffering is to escape it. Just understand that. But this is what um, Peter writes. Let's just start at verse 18 of chapter 2. He's speaking in, res- in respect to servants, but it becomes a general example. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. This is 
By the way, this is one of the most astonishing passages in the whole New Testament. This, this gives me nightmares. It plagues me. It's tough. Be, be submissive to your masters, not just to the good, but to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, if because of our, my relationship or my thinking toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, he's saying, look, if, if you deserved it, you take it, you know, what credit is that? But when you do good and suffer, anybody done good and suffer? Anybody just seems to be, every, the, the boss just seems to have it out for you? You know, the people at work just want to, you know, seem to be against you? Or, but if you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Well, that would, you know, maybe that applied then, but not now. Maybe that was for Jesus to suffer and take it patiently and silently, but not me. Verse 21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. God, you are going to take care of this. You know what's right and what's wrong in this situation. You see these people being cruel to me. You see the situation that I'm going through, and I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to commend myself to you and trust you to take care of the situation. By the way, circle the word example. If you can think back to when you were in kindergarten or first grade or nursery school, I don't know when you start that, but you get the, when you're learning the alphabet, they give you a piece of paper and it's got A, B, C, D, all in the column, like little cursive letters. Do you remember doing those as a kid, the writing, uh, the writing samples? And then you copy it, A, 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 all the way across the line, and then B, 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 B. You, you just practice writing it. Just, there was the example in the first column of the letter and how it's supposed to look. And then there was a few kind of dotted line ones that that you kind of draw over, and then you were supposed to copy those. That is exactly what this word example means. That's exactly what it speaks of, a writing copy. So we are to to look at Jesus' life, how he suffered, and we're supposed to copy that over and over and over again. Okay? So next thing, Hebrews 12, real quick. I know you guys are being very, very, very patient. But I wanted to leave us with something to think about, something very practical. Again, another one of my favorite passages, verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, So we have a race, a life that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who began it and the one who finishes it, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, one of my favorite lines, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the joy set before him. We'll get to that in a second. Despising the shame. So Jesus didn't enjoy this. It wasn't, he was, as we see the shame, one of the things about the cross It was humiliating, humiliating, and he despised the shame, but he endured it. Why? Why did he go through that? Why did he not 
release himself. The joy set before him. Now, a lot of times we say the joy of saving me or the joy of saving you. And that's true to some extent. But for me, what I see when I read this is the joy, you know, when, you, when you're in the middle of that race and you're tired and, and you press through it and you come to the finish line, it's that joy of having finished your race. It's that joy of, and I think the race for Jesus was full obedience to God. I think the joy that was set before him was fulfilling completely the will of his Father. That's my, I can't say, thus saith the Lord on that, but, and I think there is a tremendous joy, not during the shame, not during the process, but at the end, when you say, I have, I have run my race, I have finished my course, I have been true to the Lord, I have done his will. For verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. We've seen that. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. See, it's meant for our encouragement. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. See, he resisted all the way. It says, he, Paul, I mean, um, the writer of Hebrews says, look, Jesus resisted to the ultimate extreme. And it's not been that, not been that bad for us. So certainly we see this encouragement that he endured such hostility from sinners. If we are going to be Christians, and, and we can close the Bibles, let's put these away, um, and, and we're going to sing a, a closing song to uh, meditate on. But as Christians in the world, we are going to endure hostility from sinners. We become, in effect, sin bearers just like Christ, don't we? We bear the sins of the world, not in the way that Jesus did, not to, um, not to put them away, but we, we bear them. And look, the world is watching, isn't it? The world is, and I'm telling you, look, I know, I was talking to Val yesterday at the beach at Lake Monticello, and the world is changing rapidly, faster than ever before, I believe. And I don't know how it's going to happen. But I believe, and I'm not just saying this, I don't say this often, but I truly, truly believe that we are soon to see a very great harvest of people's souls. I believe that we are soon to see a number of people, I don't know if it's going to come through a world event, I don't know if it's going to come through just a move of the Spirit in people's hearts, I don't know how it will come, and I don't know how I even have that sense, I just have a sense, that I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I have this sense that we are going to see this tremendous outpouring in, in, with, within our lifetimes, within uh, hopefully sooner than that. Um, and I think that one of the things that we are going to see is Christians being called to suffer. And, and that's not just in big death ways. I think it's just, you know, sometimes it's just putting up with people in church, isn't it? I mean, look, at we, we come to church, we go, they talked bad about me. I'm changing churches. Now, wait a second. Is that, we're called to suffer with one another. Love suffers long and is kind, and we're called to put up with each other because we're hard to put up with. But this is part of, on a minuscule scale, is suffering and taking patience. Look, someone said something to hurt your feelings. Guess what? Welcome to Christ's world. What's happening when you change or when you say, well, I'm not, uh, they hurt my feelings. I'm not going back to church. You're saying, I don't want to be like Christ. I'm not willing to go through that. I'm not willing to be Christ-like. But when someone sins against you, when someone says something that hurts your feelings or someone talks bad behind your back and you forgive them and you, you, you willingly 
endure it and, and you continue to, to love them, that's Christ-like. That's what the world is looking for. Not pettiness, not backstabbing, not all that. Not, the world is looking for people that are willing to suffer in Christ's name, take it patiently for the joy set before him of the eternal crown that lasts forever. And when you're in heaven, you won't remember what they said because you'll be worshiping Jesus every day and none of it will have mattered. None of it will. It's not a, it's not a Catholic church. You can clap. I mean, not, only if that was worth Some of you were trying. I don't say it because it's not worthy of clapping, but that's... I saw some of you kind of like, oh, this is Calvary Chapel, but I'm not sure if we can clap here. So, um, so the question we leave with as we, I have no idea what song Phil is going to pull out of his hat to cap this one off, you know. Um, but the question is, I want you to analyze your own life. I really want you to think about it. And ask yourself, where are the areas in my life I've just been escaping suffering? Where are the areas in my life where I've always run from inconvenience? And how is God asking me to be willing to be inconvenienced or be willing to suffer a little bit so someone else can live or so someone else can see the gospel in a practical way. Because we want, we want to be light to the world, right? So you've got to ask yourself these questions. You've got to challenge yourself in your own mind. You've got to examine yourself and say, maybe I'm too quick to run. And maybe I should be a little more willing to endure a little bit of suffering for the sake of Christ. For the joy set before you. Amen? Let's stand and we'll just sing a, a, a closing song to...